We are in the book of Romans. Would you please turn with me? What an exciting book. We had such a time in the book of Revelation. I mean, we got to see Jesus Christ as as few books. In fact, there are no other books in the scriptures that, that show him with that type of majesty, the glory of God, just, just as God of very God, the one who is uh, our Savior, but who is now in the book of Revelation, as we saw him, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who will come and judge the world, as, as we studied and saw. Well, this particular book, the book of Romans, is special too in its own way. As a matter of fact, so many of the men of faith that have, have gone before us, the, the Augustine and, and Wesley and, and Martin Luther and, and so many more, have attributed this particular book, the book of Romans, to have changed their lives. It's to be the one book that, that moved them into a place of assurance, the place that they felt that they knew, that they knew, that they knew, of who they are in Christ Jesus. And the reason being is this particular book talks about the righteousness of God through faith. Righteousness of God. Faith in Christ and Christ alone. And what we are going to see in this book is is how totally lost we are apart from Jesus Christ. Without Him in our lives, there is no hope. As a matter of fact, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, whom I absolutely adore, he wrote as he got older in his faith and learned more and more and more about scriptures, he realized more and more and more how desperately he needed a Savior. How much he just needed someone to make him right with God. And the book of Romans is the book that impacted him as well. As a matter of fact, he started off his commentary, which was pretty intimidating for me. He started off by saying that I feel, he said, totally inadequate to teach this book. Well, I started shaking my shoes right at that moment. I mean, if, if he feels inadequate, what must I feel like? But he goes on to say, to study this great book, the book of Romans, is, is just a is more than magical as far as the assurance of his faith. And if there's, if there's one thing I would like to say about this book that I would like to pour into our lives, is that is the word assurance of your faith. That you would be so solid, so rock solid in what you believe in Christ that nothing, no one would be able to sway you from that thought and that belief. And so today... We're going to begin what many scholars to believe is one of the finest books in the Bible to study concerning our Christian faith. There's a a man that I so respect and admire. I knew his dad very well when I first came to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My wife and I moved to Eugene, Oregon. We married in Eugene, Oregon at Dr. Jack MacArthur's church, John MacArthur's father. The first church that I ever went into that I can remember going into where I carried a Bible and had someone teach out of the Word of God was Dr. Jack MacArthur's church in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, it was there that so many things in my life changed. Of course, being married and and, and living there for a year and and being challenged... uh, through Dr. Jack and, 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 and the people in that church almost daily. Um, met a group of men that, that wanted to memorize Scripture, and they, they would challenge me all the time to put to memory the Word of God. And 
It was just a wonderful, wonderful time for me. It was at that church, at Dr. Jack MacArthur's church, Dr. Jack MacArthur's church, that I, I heard him say every Sunday, Lord, hide me behind the wonders of your word, or something to that effect. And so I say that today. You hear me say that today. I tell you over and over again, I don't have an original bone in my body. I stole that from Dr. Jack. Well, in the commentary of, of, of what I was reading about this particular book, and in every commentary that is written by Dr. Jack's son, Johnny MacArthur, who is a, a brilliant, brilliant man of God, a man for our generation to teach the Word of God, he, he incorporates within in almost all of his writings this particular verse in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8, and I have adopted it as a theme for me as well. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah wrote, What is my desire for you and for me? It is these words. Nehemiah writes in, in chapter 8, verse 8, They read from the book. They read from the law of God, meaning they, le they read from the scriptures. They translated so as to give sense, so that they would understand what they were reading. With all of my heart, that is my desire. One of the greatest compliments that I've ever received, and I've received it a few times, is that someone will come to me and say, you know, I've read that place in Scripture many a times, but I've never really understood it until today. What I would love for you and me to do is to translate from this the book of God so as what we read we would start to understand and so that it would give us the assurance of our faith. It is said of a Bible teacher of renown, Donald Gray Barnhouse is his name. He had a weekly radio program. It is said of Dr. Barnhouse that he taught the book of Romans for 11 consecutive years. Now, I only tell you, <laughs> I just, that was kind of just one of those quotes in Scripture, and I just, not Scripture, in the commentary I was reading, and I pulled that out just to say to you, to make my meager attempt of communicating the Word of God seem a little shorter to you, because I don't believe I'll, I'll do 11 years in this book. Romans, this book, if you want to turn to it, please, communicates to the churches through what is called the epistles or letters. This one, of course, written by Paul, a man among men. God called Paul to go to the Gentiles. Uh, take a look with me. What we're going to do is we're going to jump around. We're not going to take too much of, of Romans at all, except for one verse, just one verse today. But look at with me at chapter 15, would you please? Romans chapter 15. I want to verify what was Paul's call. Peter was called to go to the Jewish nation. Paul was called to go to the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 15, verse 15, Paul writes, I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God, note, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He says he ministers as a priest the gospel of God that his offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified, or set apart 
by the Holy Spirit. God called Paul to go and present to the to the Gentiles the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now Rome was the most ideal place to reach Gentiles. At the writing of this particular book, you need to know that Paul has not yet ever been to Rome. He is writing them, telling them who he is, as we'll see in a moment. But Paul wrote to the, book, to the people in Rome, the book of Romans, somewhere between 55 and 58 A.D., and at that time, Rome was the very center of the world. It was not just a clever saying, for people said, all roads lead to Rome. That was not just a clever saying. In fact, people, Gentiles from all over the world, came by groves into the, into the major city of Rome. And Paul would teach and convert many Gentiles to Jesus Christ, using the very theme of Romans, which you and I will get to know as we travel through this book. And that is, we will talk about the righteousness of God and that the righteous shall live by faith. The theme of Romans changed the lives of many magnificent, wonderful teachers of God's Word, from Augustine to Martin Luther to John Wesley, and just to name a few. Martin Luther wrote these words concerning this book we are about to take off in. He said, Luther said, after studying the book of Romans, he felt himself to be reborn. He says he felt the righteousness of God through faith in Christ alone. Let me stop for a second. And that is going to be a theme. It is, it is the very essence of who I am as a preacher. I teach you as well as I think I know how that you and I need to trust in Christ and He alone. It's not a church. It's not a denomination. It's not by how good you are. It is by faith in Christ and Christ alone. And that is a general theme that runs through this great book of Romans. And so Luther said he felt himself to be reborn through, through the book of Romans and the righteousness of God through faith in Christ alone. It said, this book became to him not a condemnation of his soul, but a sweet and greater love of God, and ultimately giving him a gateway to heaven. He finally sensed the assurance of his faith. The assurance of faith. Now I tell you up front, for, for some, Romans is going to be a very difficult message to, to, to intake. Because basically, Romans teaches that God is completely and totally righteous, and we are not. Romans is going to teach that God is in complete control of everything, and we are not. But mankind today kind of poo-poo's that message. Poo-poo, I know, is, I don't know if that's an old word or what. I wrote it down. The reason, the reason we push that message, that type of message aside is because we want to think we are a people who wish to hear and, and we want to be in control of our own destiny. We want to be exalted. We wish to be seen as self-righteous and in control. And if we understand what, what we are going to be reading in this great book of Romans, that is, if I do this book credit then you'll note that we are totally lost without our relationship to our Lord. 
We are, as human beings, bent towards evil. We are told that we are depraved, we are corrupt, we are in ruin, we are of absolutely no good. Don't miss this point. That is, we are all of these things apart from Jesus Christ and God. The only remedy that will help you or me is Jesus Christ and He alone. You're in Romans. Take book, look back. If you were back at 15, move ahead towards verse chapter 3, please. Let me just show you what Paul writes, quoting out of the book of Psalms. Paul writes these words in Romans chapter 3, verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. What then? He is, he is, he is saying to the Jewish people, what is the advantage between being a Jew or a Gentile? And he says, what then, verse 9, are we better than they, meaning we, meaning Jews? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jew and Greek, or Gentiles, were all under sin. Then he says in verse 10, just as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There are none who does good, there is not even one. And so you see, clearly written in the book of Romans, is that we are, we are bent towards evil. We don't do good. That is apart from God. And so our only remedy is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, before I go too far in this, let me read the only verse that I'm going to look at with you tonight. And that's verse 1 of chapter 1. You see, Paul, although he had not yet been to Rome, writes this letter so as to introduce himself to the people in Rome. And he says these things about himself in the very first statement he makes to the people who would read his epistle or letter to them. He writes in verse 1, Paul, introducing himself, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Let's pray before we get any deeper into this. Father, please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And Father, please do us all a great privilege, and that is by hiding the one who gives the message behind the wonders of your most glorious word. May we concentrate on what you are saying to the quietness, perhaps, of our own hearts. May we hear your plea to us. And Father, may you hear us as well. Whatever it is that we might bring to you at this moment in time, whatever it is, Father, that is a burden to us or a, a joy to us or whatever it is, Father, we are bringing, may we, may we whisper it to your ears. So, Lord, please move me aside so that I do not interfere with any of this. Teach us from your word, we pray. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I told you that the only remedy there is for mankind is Christ and Christ alone. Let me tell you what I believe with all of my heart, and I think you might agree. We can feed the hungry all we wish. It's a noble thing. We should do that. But if you think feeding the hungry is enough, or we can bring upon equality between all pieces, all races, all people, I should say, all races, all sects, all creeds. 
We can raise the standard of living for every single person on this earth, and we can bring peace to mankind. And yet, if we do any or all of that without presenting to the people Jesus Christ, then we have failed them. That's not the answer. That is a temporal thing to feed the hungry, to bring about equality, to raise the standard of living. All of them noble things. Yet without Christ, we'll fail everyone. Romans teaches us that there is no remedy for this world apart from changing people from the inside out. It, is, it will never work the other way around. It's not the outside things like feeding the hungry. Again, all of this is noble. It's good. Bringing equality of all people. Raising the standard of living. All of these things are good, but they're outward things that will never change hearts until a person comes to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. The only remedy for mankind is to recognize that we are sinners and that God is perfect and we must be saved by Him. He has given us a plan to meet Him and to change our path from sin to be right with Him. And that remedy is none other than His Son, Jesus Christ. But for the most part, mankind, not us here in this room, but for the most part, mankind does not want to hear that solution. Why? Because it doesn't exalt them. Rather, it gives complete and total credit and control to God and not to us. I mean, have you ever... I have the privilege of sharing Christ. I, I love doing it to friends and sometimes just... Just strangers. I will just share my faith sometimes when I believe God has opened that door. And I've heard all sorts of responses from who are you to compare me? I mean, what do you know I'm like? And, you know, I, I, I'm quick to say I don't know. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I've had people whom I love very dearly, my own family, kind of tell me they never want to speak to me again because of my my reliance upon my faith in Christ and trying to get them to understand that and believe it. I've had people set me up. I, I was told by a friend of mine, when you go and talk to this guy's wife, be careful, be careful. And I was speaking to her and she said, do you believe that, that Jews, because they don't believe in Jesus Christ, are going to hell? I said to her, I believe that any person, be Jew or Gentile, that does not believe in Jesus Christ will go to hell. She says, well, what about my son? He's Jew. I, my friend looked at me and said, she got you. It's, it's that type of thought that, that of people that just won't want to listen about Jesus Christ because there is this, there is this thought that, that God is, is so much broader than just one way to him. I've heard that. I cannot tell you how many times someone said to me, you mean to say that you think that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? And I said, no, I don't necessarily think that. I believe it because the Bible says that. It's not my idea. It's the Bible's idea. And then they go off, and what about all? And then they start talking about all those other faiths. You see, most of us do not want to come to God His way. We have our own way. 
And the Bible says in Ephesians, which I'm sure verses you know, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you know it. You, you can turn if you wish, but it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. This thing called faith is a gift from God. It's not a result of works so that none of us can boast. But that's a tough message to teach. It's a tough message to grasp today. But that's the true message of the book of Romans. Listen to what some of the men of God said of this great book. Martin Luther, for instance, said, Roman is a true masterpiece. He says it is the very purest of the gospel message. And then he goes on to say, no one should ever read or study the book of Romans just a little bit. I've misquoted him. He says it can never be read or studied enough. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, as I told you earlier, he starts off by saying, I feel totally inadequate to teach this book. Its theme is the righteousness of God. But he says later on, in this book, you will be grounded as a believer in Jesus Christ in your faith. There's a scientist, one of the great scientists I read, was at one time, I believe, it said he was an atheist. He said after studying the book of Romans and laying on his deathbed, he said, My faith now is firmly fixed in Jesus Christ, my Savior. He who died for me and made a way for me to heaven. He learned that through his study of the book of Romans. John Wesley, after listening to the teachings of Martin Luther, said this thing concerning the book of Romans. After studying it, he says, I felt my heart strangely warm. He says, I felt a new trust in Christ who alone died for my salvation and who alone gave me a new assurance, a new assurance that he has taken my sin away and saved me from the law of sin and death. Folks, that's what I pray for you and me. As we go through this study, I pray that our assurance in our complete trust and total faith in Christ will be the very core of what you and I hold on to as we study this book. Assurance. Assurance. Assurance of your faith. And then believing that God Almighty is able to perform in you what He has promised. I get that out of the book of Jude the 24th verse. Jude only has one chapter. And so Jude chapter, only chapter 1, Jude verse 24 says this, Now to Him, to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, with great joy. I want you to have the assurance of your faith and I want you to have the joy. I, I told the people in the first service and I'm going to hold myself to it. I'm going to call my good friend Danny Roberts, who's a cowboy, really. He does sings cowboy songs, and he, he's kind of ridden in, in rodeos and stuff. And I'm going to call him tomorrow and wish him a happy Father's Day. He has three children, beautiful children, beautiful wife. I'm going to call him and, and ask him the question that he hasn't asked me in years. I'm going to ask him, has anybody stole his joy lately? He used to call me all the time and say, don't let anybody steal your joy. And so I say to you, I want you and me to have an assurance of our faith and I want us to have a joy in our walk with Christ regardless, 
regardless of our circumstances. So when Paul wrote the book of Romans, it was reported that that he had never been to Rome. So now he introduces himself. Let's get to this first verse. He gives the credentials of who he is, his gospel belief, to the people in Rome. Verse 1 begins, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Three things. He is a bondservant. We'll talk about that in a moment. He is called. We'll talk about that in a moment. And he is set apart for the gospel of God. First, Paul says he is a bondservant. The Greek language sets the tone immediately for this book. He says that he is called as an apostle. Now, called is an adjective. It means that it was not Paul's decision. It wasn't Paul's call. It was God's call. That sets the theme and the tone for this great book of Romans. And that, that theme is that Paul had no choice in this matter. It was God's decision for Paul. All Paul was asked to do was be obedient. That's the same thing in your life and mine. In your life and my life, our, our call to, be, to believe in Christ is, is one thing. But the next thing in your life and my life that is of great importance is, is your choosing to be obedient. I am a husband of one woman. I am a, I am a husband of my wife. But my, that, that's fine. But my, my desire in life is to be as, as good a husband to her as I can possibly be. That's my choice. I'm called to be a part of this church, but it is my choice to serve the Lord as best I know how obediently here in this, in this building or in this church with you. I am called, and it is my call, I choose to be obedient or not. That's a choice that you will have to make in your life as a believer. How deeply do you want to Be obedient to the Lord. Paul was asked to be obedient. There's so many in ministry today that that God has not called. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe to me, he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, I'm no Paul. But by golly, I can understand that statement. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Secondly, in verse 1, Paul also calls himself an apostle. That means one who is sent. We we get the same word for that today as a missionary. And he was, as it says in verse 1, set apart. I want you to note this. This is very subtle, but I, I want to, hopefully I'll be able to teach this correctly. Note, he was set apart for the gospel of God. I want you to note something. Paul is not set apart from his old lifestyle. He wasn't set apart from something. He was set apart for something, for the gospel. We are called to be separated. We are called to set, apart, self, set ourselves apart. But some, some in our faith make the mistake to separate themselves from their past rather than to or for their, go, their Lord. And I'm saying that's subtle, but it is a big difference. When you separate from things, 
whether it be no more smoking, no more drinking, no more spending, no more whatever. You will find yourself fighting to stay away from them things instead of separating yourself for God. Be His and His alone. That will bring about in your life real fullness of life and real joy and ultimately will bring you peace. I, I know this is subtle. I hope that as we go through this book, you'll see this a little bit more. And, and it, maybe if it doesn't right now, it will make more sense to you. But in my life, to set myself apart for my Lord rather than from my past, it's the way to go for me. It centers my mind and my heart and my thoughts upon my Savior. Paul's whole life was changed. We will study about his change. I mean, the road to Damascus is an amazing story of how Paul turned away from his old past and walked towards Christ. And that's the way he walked the rest of his life. And so because he realized what Christ did for him, he chose in verse 1 to become a bond servant. A bond servant of Christ Jesus. You see, to know Jesus Christ like Paul does, and all that Christ has done for him, and all he has done for you and for me, should make us desire to be a bondservant of his. Look at some of the things, listen to some of the things that, that our Lord took, took you from and made you. He made you a joint heir with him in heaven. He made you and me an ambassador of his. He has called us a child of his, and He has given us eternal salvation. He calls us friends, and He says that we can call Him Abba, Father, meaning Daddy. He prepares a mansion for us to live in, as we just studied out of the book of Revelation, which the Psalms tells us are full of pleasures for us forever. And lastly, He says, well, just in this example, he loves us with an everlasting love. These are just a few of the blessings that Jesus Christ has given to every single one of us who believes in him. So what does Paul say to that? Paul says, I want to be a bond servant of his. Now I want you to turn to this place in Scripture. It's in the, the Old Testament. The first book is Genesis. The second book is Exodus. Turn to Exodus chapter 21, please. Exodus chapter 21. I want to show you what Paul meant when he says he wanted to be a bond servant to Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament days, the law of God stated that if a, a Hebrew slave worked for a household for six years, on the seventh year, that slave was to go free. Being a slave was not a lifetime job. By the way, this law... Listen, this law was not given to justify within Scripture slavery. No, it doesn't. No, but since there was slavery, God gave rules to govern the state of mankind. It was, this rule was given so as to protect each person's rights. And so if this slave loved their master, loved the one that they were working for, then they could choose by their own free will to stay with that family forever and serve them. Read with me, please. Exodus chapter 21, starting with verse 1. Now these are the ordinances which you are to set before them 
If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and the children shall belong to her master, and he shall go out alone. But, verse 5, if the slave plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I will not go out as a free man, then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear. That means to to gig it, to put a hole in it, pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. This is really a picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. How do we know? Well, if you turn to Psalms chapter 40, verses 6, 7, and 8, it talks about a coming Messiah. It says, verse 6 of Psalms chapter 40, Sacrifice and a meal offering you have not desired. My ear, my ears you have opened. That means to dug or to pierce. My ears you have opened. Burn offering and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. This passage is mentioned more clearly in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. In Hebrews, let me turn with you there if you want to go to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, Hebrews is just before the book of Revelation, as you well know. You'll go past Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Peter, James, and then Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 talking again about the coming Messiah. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Well, let's look at verse 4, just, for, for, just to start it. He says, It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Okay, verse 5. Therefore, when He comes, who comes? The Messiah. When He comes into the world, it says, Sacrifice, now He's quoting out of Psalms 40, where we just read, Sacrifice and offering you thou has not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Note, it's not an ear he's talking about. It's a body. A body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then behold, I said, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written me to do your will. Verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus decided willfully to go through with the sacrifice of giving his body for our sin. He could have left this earth without dying, but he loved us too much. And so he became the ultimate bondservant to die for you and me. And so as you move back to the book of Romans, well, don't. You don't need to because, well... If you wish, go. Hopefully you hold the mark there. But Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17. We see that Paul states that he bore wounds in his body for the cause of Christ. Now, Paul was beaten. He was, he was whipped. He was stoned. He almost drowned. He bore the wounds in his body for his faith. He says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Now the word brand marks in the Greek 
is stigmata, S-T-I-G-M-A-T-A. It means a slave's brand. Paul is sharing with us his marks upon his body for the sake of Jesus Christ and his willingness to serve him. So Jesus Christ bore upon his body the the piercing, the the, 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 the nails in his wrists, the nails in his feet, the, the, the piercing or the, the slicing of his, uh, of his side with a spear. He was pierced through for our transgressions. And so Paul shows in Galatians that he also has some bond marks, some slave brands, if you would, for his serving the Lord. I think all of us in some way or another hold some sort of brand marks of serving Jesus Christ if you've served him long enough. Now, as far as Paul is concerned, no one was more conscious of his freedom than Paul was himself. At the time when most men, especially Jews, were slaves in Rome, Paul was not only a Jew, but he was born a Roman citizen, which meant that Paul was a free man by Roman law. Therefore, they could not make him a slave. And yet he writes in Romans 1.1 that he was privileged by his own free will to be a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus does not make you a servant of his. That you must do voluntarily. You're never forced to serve him. If I could, I would. Allow someone to gig my ear, to pierce my ear, to say, I will serve my Lord forever. I don't want to leave. I wouldn't want to be set free from from the wonders that our Lord has given me. I pray that you don't either. First, our Lord sets us free by giving us eternal salvation, and then we can come and serve Him by our own free will. But how? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I want to close with this thought. In a moment, Dan's going to come up and answer some questions. We've got some things we want to tell you about, hopefully in the very near future, for our church. But if you you choose to serve the Lord, I I pray that, that God would touch your heart that you would, you would choose to be a bondservant of His. And the best place that you can serve Him is here at this church. There's so many things that are going on right now uh, that take a lot of energy, a lot of breaking down of, of tables and chairs and stuff and, and, and unpacking uh, the trailers and, and just other work that needs to be done. Um, we are in a real... T- real state of transition as a, as a body of believers. Uh, we've lost a few people who have, um, whether they just decided not to come because it's Saturday, I'm not sure. And so we're trying to remedy that as fast as we can. We need your prayers. We need your faithfulness and loyalty. Well, thank you for that. We need to make this place all that we can make it to be. So we're calling you to serve calling you to voluntarily serve the Lord. Some of you here, I, I look and I see do so much that I'm embarrassed to ask. You serve so much, it's embarrassing. I'm not asking for more. I'm just asking for those of us that, that uh, for one reason or another, haven't done much, that I, I would ask you to consider 
Consider serving the Lord. Let me close in prayer, and I'm going to ask Dan to come on up. Father, this is an exciting book to start to study right now, the book of Romans. Um, what a, we're going to really see how, how free we are because of what you've done for us. We're going to see how much you truly love us. I pray, Father God Almighty, that you would just t touch all of our hearts, that we'd just catch a glimpse of what Paul is trying to teach in this wonderful book. Father, I pray you'll draw us back again next week. And uh, in the meantime, Father, that we will walk faithfully with you this week. That we will forget the things that, that lie behind and press on towards the goal, the upward call that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Father, for this time. And bless us, please. And now bless Dan as he comes and shares with us. And Dan, I want to publicly say what a great job you've done. Thank you so much for everything. God bless you all. I love you so much.